finding your way to Acts chapter 18, I want to begin this morning with a somewhat controversial statement. And you're going, Pastor, we just ordained you last week. You're already, are you sure you want to say something controversial now? Um, You may wonder that more after I make this statement. This is my controversial statement. Some days, some weeks, I really don't feel like following Jesus. Some days, some weeks, I just really don't feel like following Jesus. It's hard. It's a grind. I know some of you feel that way too. And maybe it's helpful, maybe it's comforting to hear that your pastor struggles with that too. Following Jesus is hard work. Not because we're working to gain salvation. It's just hard because our, our spirits within us, our hearts within us, which are, which are inclined towards sin, though saved by God, are still pulling us the direction of the flesh, the direction of the world, the, the, the direction uh, uh, against or, or away from God. Our hearts are still fighting for that. Now, God, in, in His grace and His Holy Spirit in us, is, continues to redeem us from that. He's continuing to bring us back to faithfulness to Him. Part of the reason it's a struggle is because of those warring sort of natures within us, the, uh, the nature of our heart and the influence of the Spirit within us that is leading us uh, toward holiness. Following Jesus sometimes just feels like a grind. Our text today deals with the final year and a half of Paul's second missionary journey. Here in Acts 18, he'll travel from Athens where we saw him last week deliver a wonderfully well-tailored gospel message to those pagan philosophers in that city. He'll move from Athens to Corinth. Now, Corinth itself was a massive and massively influential city in Paul's day in the Roman Empire. Corinth sat at the crossroads of an east-west sailing route and a uh, north-south land trading route. And so uh, as a result of that, it was, uh, uh, the city itself was heavily used in commerce and in training, in trading, excuse me. Corinth was a transient and a wealthy city. It was also an incredibly immoral city. Much of the environmental immorality would ultimately eventually creep into the church at Corinth. And you can even read about the influence of the city of Corinth upon the church of Jesus Christ in Corinth in Paul's letters to the Corinthians, First and Second Corinthians in your Bibles. Though Paul spends 18 months, a year and a half in Corinth, the, the longest he spent any one place yet in his missionary travels, we have only 23 verses about his time there and no recorded sermons. It's kind of interesting. He spent several weeks in Athens, and we got 34 verses and a recorded sermon in Acts chapter 17 about what Paul did in Athens. But in Corinth, he spends 18 months, and we only get 23 verses about his time there. A church was planted there in Corinth. We know much about the church from the letters that Paul writes to them. But Paul also seemed to try to leave Corinth fairly early on in his ministry. We'll see that in the text today. Now, Luke does not say it so specifically, but in my time in this passage this week and in my study of of other scholars who have have helped to, to clarify and help us to understand this passage, I get the strong impression that for Paul, his ministry in Corinth was a grind. I don't know how it could not be. If he, if he had spent 18 months there, and yet we, we know so little about what he did. It's not that Paul didn't do anything. I just think it was a really hard season of ministry for him. We know that Paul arrived in Corinth alone. He left Silas and Timothy in Berea and Thessalonica, and he himself traveled down to Athens and sent word for them to, to join him. But they didn't join him in Athens. They will ultimately join him here at Corinth. But once he gets to Corinth, there by himself, he doesn't have any income at the time, and so he has to work on the side to make ends meet and to finance his ministry. 
We see him in Corinth continuing to teach in the synagogue, but the Jews there oppose him just as virulently as in the other cities where he's been opposed by the Jews. And after 18 months, Paul is arrested and accused of crimes that he has not committed, and then he ships off on his way back home to his home church in Antioch in Syria. Again, 18 months, a year and a half, and only 23 verses. Corinth was a grind for Paul. So what happens when you as a Christian feel as though the Christian life is a grind? Not that things in life might be bad or, or tragic, but, but maybe you, you find yourself in a, a time, a season in life where all of the spiritual momentum with which you once had lived and once had been sharing the gospel and seeking to make disciples, all of that momentum just comes to a screeching halt. How do you deal with those seasons of your life when you know what you must do in faithfulness to Jesus, but you just don't want to do those things? It's just hard. I'd like to propose from our text today six helps for finding relief and encouragement in times when life with Christ feels like a grind. Let's look at the text together. Would you stand with me in honor of reading God's word? Acts chapter 18, beginning in verse 1. Now after this, after the time that Paul had spent in Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius, the emperor, had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and, Gen- uh, Jews and Greeks. And when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent. From now on, I'll go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, you see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal, and they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and they beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila. At Sencre, he had, his, he had cut his hair, for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus, and he left them there, but he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next through the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. God, we pray you'd bless us as we read and study your word this morning. Open our eyes and our ears to see and to hear you. Soften our hearts, God, that we might respond to you in obedience and in the strength 
that Jesus Christ, through his Holy Spirit, provides to us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated this morning. So what do you do when the Christian life feels like a grind, when just following Jesus day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, decade after decade, just feels like a, a little bit like a chore sometimes? I'm going to give you six things that, that I think that we see in this text that, that Paul exemplifies for us that we can also apply to our own, own lives. First and foremost, when life feels like a grind, when following Jesus feels like a grind, Above all, determine not to quit. Determine not to quit. Now, Corinth is going to be a hard season for Paul on mission. We see, uh, uh, even in light of that, in our brother Paul, the determination never to give up. The mission that he has to make disciples of Jesus may be a hard one. It's, it's an arduous task, but it is not one that he may disobey or even take a break from. He knows that he is compelled and, and he is convinced to be committed to Jesus. In verse 1, we see Paul continuing to move from Athens to Corinth. He may have desired a break at this time, but he continues on. So far, his missionary journeys have not been very easy. They've been challenging, and Athens was no exception to the rule. But he doesn't stop in going from Athens to Corinth. He just continues on. Verse 4, as he continues on mission, we see there at Corinth, he goes again week after week, Sabbath after, after Sabbath, to the Jews in the synagogue in Corinth to declare that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. His mission is not one that he might break from. Verses 5 through 7, we find there that even when the Jews reject the gospel, in Corinth. He preaches with enthusiasm to the Gentiles as well. And even though he's been disparaged by the Jews, he still remains spiritually and even geographically close to them as he makes his Gentile preaching headquarters the house next to the synagogue. I find that kind of funny. Verse 18, we see Paul continuing on, determining not to quit, that even though he has been arrested and falsely accused by the Jews in Corinth, he still stays many days later to continue to preach and to teach and to train the elders in the church to encourage the body of believers there in Corinth. Paul's not giving up. Verse 19, his determination not to quit continues. Even though Paul stops at Ephesus on his way back to uh, ultimately to Jerusalem, as we'll see here in a minute, and then to his home in Antioch, he stops in Ephesus. And, and even though Corinth was a grind, he still stops to preach the gospel in the synagogue at Ephesus. Paul is determined not to quit. Dear friends, our brother Paul is committed to Jesus Christ in hard and and discouraging times. He is committed to the point that he will not stop, even when it's a grind, to be faithful to Jesus. His very reason for his existence, the, the calling that he has upon his life for ministry, which is to declare the good news that Jesus offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life, that calling never departs our brother Paul. It may seem hard, it may seem fruitless, but for Paul, the work is not done, and his reason for living, his reason for ministry, for preaching the gospel, does not depart from him. And as long as it does not depart from him, he is determined not to quit it. Christian, when life is a grind for you today, when following Jesus just just feels like a struggle, like a chore, you can combat that best by deciding today that you will not walk away from Christ and or his mission. Decide today that you will not, like Paul, you will not depart from the mission of Christ. Listen, I understand that living in a way that is faithful to Jesus and full of Christian integrity in all that you do and say, I know that it is tiring in a world and in a culture that is always tempting you to quit. I know that it's work. 
I know that sharing the gospel gets challenging, especially in seasons where you're not seeing a whole lot of fruit from people. You're not seeing a whole lot of people come to faith in Christ. I know that it's hard to continue preaching, sharing the gospel. I know that some days you just don't want to read the Bible and pray. I know that, and I'm, uh, for some, and certainly no one here in this room today, I know that, that not a one of you ever have, sometimes we have, we have times where we don't want to worship on Sunday. I know that's not the case for you, but sometimes you wake up on Sunday morning, and you'd really just rather not. Listen, if we're not determined not to quit on Christ, if we're not determined not to quit the mission, then when life, when life with Jesus becomes a grind, when it becomes a struggle, we will walk away from Christ. We will walk away from his mission. And it won't even take much effort on our part to do so. Dear friend, if you call yourself by the name Christian, be certain that you call yourself that because you have truly trusted Jesus alone for the forgiveness of your sin and that you are fully committed to Christ and his mission, for better or for worse, in sickness and in health, till death or Christ himself should return to remove remove you from this earth, because that is the only kind of Christian that is so truly called. Jesus himself said to three different people who wanted to follow him in Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62, he said to them, foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He said to another, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. To a third, he said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. In Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 36, Jesus said to the crowds of people that were following him, he said, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? Listen, Christian, the invitation to follow Christ is not one that can be responded to with a maybe, or I'll see if something better comes up, or we'll just see what the day holds. No, the the invitation to follow Christ is an invitation to full and total commitment that requires our daily perseverance and moment-by-moment devotion to Jesus as Lord. There is no gray area with following Jesus. You are with him or you are against him. Dear friend, if you don't know Jesus today, if you've not known the Savior of the world, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, if you've not placed your faith in Him, His death on the cross in your place for sin, His resurrection from the dead to grant you eternal life and a right relationship with God the Father, you do not yet, you, you cannot yet call yourself a Christian. I invite you today, trust Jesus. And I invite you that, and I give you the full knowledge ahead of time that it won't be easy. Following Jesus is the best decision you will ever make in your life. It is the most life-giving decision you will ever make in your life. But Jesus says in order to have this life-giving gift of salvation, you've got to give your life in submission to Jesus. Jesus never said following him would be easy. In fact, I think in, in, not in, in so certain terms, but maybe even better terms, Jesus, Jesus says following me is going to be a grind. It's going to be a struggle because the world, the world is not going to encourage you to do that. It's going to want to pull you away. Christian, when you feel like following Jesus is a grind, when you feel like it's just a struggle, begin uh, begin to combat that feeling within you by determining not to quit, not to quit following Christ, not to quit the mission. Secondly, so first of all, determine not to quit. And after you've determined not to quit, you can do these other five things. Secondly, press into godly friendships. Press into godly friendships. As Paul arrives alone to Corinth, 
he quickly begins looking for connections to make in the city there. And there in the city, he meets a believing couple from Rome, Aquila and Priscilla, who, as Luke mentions, had been expelled by Claudius, the emperor, from Rome. Now, the Greek historian Suetonius helps us to understand what's going on here. Suetonius tells us that in the late 40s AD, the emperor Claudius expelled all of the Jews from Rome, uh, from the city of Rome, over a conflict about a man named Crestus. Now, most scholars agree that Crestus is the Latin transliteration of the Greek name Christos, meaning Christ. It would seem that as the gospel ultimately made its way to Rome, even before Paul had ever taken it there, that the Jews who rejected the gospel that Jesus was the Christ in Rome had some conflict with the Jews who did believe that Jesus was the Christ. The conflict between the two parties, as we've seen in almost every city that Paul goes and preaches the gospel, the conflict between these two parties in Rome seemed severe enough that the emperor effectively said, if you guys can't all just get along and keep the peace, you're going to have to get out. And apparently they couldn't keep the peace, so Claudius sent them out. All of the Jews expelled from Rome, Aquila and Priscilla among them, ultimately make their way to Corinth, this major trading city. And as tent makers, they they find a good place to to practice their business. Paul had in common with this Christian couple that same trade, tent making. But he also had in common with them a faith in Jesus as Lord. In this difficult and trying season of Paul's ministry, he finds relief, he finds encouragement in the close friendship that he shared with this couple. Now, Priscilla and Aquila are mentioned a handful of other times in the New Testament, most of the time in Paul's letters to various churches throughout the empire. And most often, he refers to them as dear friends and fellow workers for the gospel. It's clear that their friendship, the friendship between Paul and Priscilla and Aquila, was of great value to our brother Paul at Corinth, and not just at Corinth, but through life. Friend, when following Jesus is hard work, press into godly friendships. Make time to enjoy the friendships that God has given you with other believers. The book of Proverbs, which is a collection of God-given wisdom to us there in the Old Testament, says in several different places, Proverbs 17, 17, we hear that a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. In Proverbs 18, 24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 27.9 tells us oil and perfume make the heart glad and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Listen, there is great encouragement in times of spiritual dryness, in times of spiritual frustration, when you have a friend in the Lord who will walk through that time with you. Brothers and sisters, I'm so thankful to God for the gift of deep friendships that he has given to me with brothers that I, I met at seminary and even since in, in ministry, who I can call on and talk and cry and laugh with when life and ministry get tough. I'm so grateful to God for, for other brothers who understand what it is to be in ministry and, and, and some of the, the personal struggles that come with that, some of just the, the trying times that come with that, who can laugh with me, who can cry with me, who can tell me to shut up and just keep moving forward, who can tell me to walk off the ledge because it's really not that bad, who can tell me to to get my head out from under a rock and and love the church. I'm so grateful for friends who can push me, who can press me on and encourage me in dry times in ministry. The family of faith in Christ that is this local church, that is First Baptist West Albuquerque, I pray would find itself full of such friendships among the many of us. Friendships that suffer long with one another, that bear up the burdens of life when they become too heavy for any one of us to carry. Christian, especially you who are a member of 
First West, I would ask that you would be a true friend in the Lord to your brothers and your sisters in this place so that when life in Christ becomes a grind for you, you have others to help in times of need. Develop deep friendships among the, the body of Christ that is your local church. I mean, don't, don't keep all of your friendships and all your relationships here. We're not, we're not trying to create a fishbowl here or anything, but, but this is a, pl- a place, a, a, a family, where, where we can return to for encouragement and, and help and counsel and, and sometimes just a shoulder to cry on or someone to, to, to cry or to laugh with in difficult times. This place ought to be filled with the kind of godly, deep friendships that come that, that are based around a fellowship Uh, of faith in Jesus Christ and a filling with the Holy Spirit and a common mission. We're all in this together, friends. Let's not treat this life like we aren't. Press into godly friendships. When life becomes a grind, when following Jesus is just difficult, thirdly, find joy in physical labor. Find joy in physical labor. Verse 3, we find Paul joining Priscilla and Aquila and making tents every day to sell at the market. It's very likely that Paul took uh, to this work this way to finance his ministry and his mission. He's out of money at this point. He's got to have some money to put you know, food in his belly and find a place to stay and that sort of thing. So he goes to selling tents, a trade that he had learned to, uh, even as a, uh, as a rabbi to subsidize his, uh, his income so he wouldn't have to rely only on teaching the Word of God for an income. But I'd like us to reflect uh, not just on, on the monetary value, uh, financial benefit that working, that physical labor gives, but also on the value of physical labor when we find ourselves in frustrating times of life and ministry. Well, the physical labor, while it is a good and a godly thing for us to actively engage in, to o- earn something to provide for ourselves, also gives us at times a welcome break from whatever is frustrating us. When following Jesus is hard, and you're just frustrated by life, you feel kind of maybe spiritually stuck or, or stagnant, you just need some encouragement, you need a, a break from things without taking a break from the church, take up a hobby, take up a sport, an activity, some sort of project that shows visible results. This might be the most practical advice I ever give to you from this pulpit. Look, when your life with Christ feels like a grind and you're sharing the gospel and you're not seeing fruit, when your discipleship partner has just bailed on that relationship, find something to do physically. When everything around you spiritually and relationally just seems so just uh, stuck is the only word that I know, find something to do physically. Hit the gym. Go for a walk. Come to my house and shovel some gravel in my backyard. Paint something. Go for a run. Take your kids to the park. Play some ultimate frisbee. Play a pickup basketball game. Knit a scarf. I don't care. Play Chinese checkers. Whatever it is. Do something physically. Listen, the creative impulse within us that is part of the image of God that He has gifted us with drives us to do things that are physically productive. The creative impulse that God has given to us as image bearers of Him drives us to do things that show physical results. And that's not a bad thing. When we find ourselves at times where our spiritual lives may feel stagnant, it can sometimes help to do something whose physical results are visible in order to encourage our outlook that progress is still possible in other ways. You finish building a deck in your backyard after all the hours of toil that it takes. You feel good about what you've accomplished. You fix something else around the house that's needed fixing for long. You just feel good that something got done. You train for a 5K or a half marathon. 
And you finally run that race. Like finishing the race, it feels good to accomplish a goal. Being able to do that so, of, so often just opens our minds, opens our spirits to have hope in otherwise difficult or seemingly hopeless situations. Look, I'm not here saying that you should neglect your walk with Christ to take up a hobby. Christian, I'll never say that. But physical activity can be a gift of God to shift your attention and encourage your spirit when following Jesus is a grind. Find joy in physical labor. God intends you, for you to do so. Fourth, when life following Jesus is just hard, you don't feel like doing it. Fourth, do this. Dive into gospel sharing. You've determined not to quit. You've pressed into godly relationships, your godly friendships. You're, you're looking to find joy in physical labor. Fourth, dive into gospel sharing. In verses 4 through 8, we find Paul in Corinth, uh, virtually at first alone, but then Silas and Timothy come to join him again. And with them, they bring some money, a financial gift from the churches in Thessalonica and Philippi. And in so doing, they enable Paul to, uh, to, to leave behind some of the tent making he had done before and to commit himself fully to gospel preaching. And that's what we see him doing in Corinth. When things are a grind for Paul, he doesn't quit doing the things that are hard. He dives into them all the more. He starts sharing the gospel with Jews who begin to oppose him. And then after that, he goes to the Gentiles and he's sharing the gospel with them. And there's some fruit there. He just keeps doing what he knows he must do. And even when the Jews do oppose him, even when they do revile and blaspheme him, he pours out his life in gospel sharing to those Gentiles at Titius Justice's house right next door to the synagogue, where over time the synagogue ruler himself, Crispus, becomes a believer in Jesus. Christian, when things are hard and you just don't feel like sharing the gospel, you just don't feel like making disciples of Jesus, that one of the best things you can do to help yourself there is to redouble your efforts in the life-giving work of pointing people to Jesus. That seems counterproductive, doesn't it? When you feel frustrated at the lack of fruit in gospel sharing, it seems counterproductive to double down on your, on your efforts in that same thing. But this is almost exactly what we see Paul doing. Part of his commitment to this is due to his entire commitment to Christ, regardless of circumstance. But it's also in, in part due because he, he, knows that what is it, what, he knows what is at stake if he quits. If he quits sharing the gospel, he knows he's quit his call from Christ. If he quits sharing the gospel, he knows the many who will not hear the gospel, may not hear the gospel. If he quits his calling, he, he knows that he has effectively quit on Christ. Look, I've never called myself a runner. But I have trained, and I have taken part in a few races, just a few. And almost without fail, during that time of, of training, or even on race day itself, at some point during some run, I've hit some wall of, of fatigue, and I want to quit in the middle of the thing. I, what I want to do in moments like that, and right now I feel, I, I even, I'm even fatigued thinking about running. <laughs> what I want to do in the middle of that is to just stop and walk the rest of the way home or to the finish line or whatever the case may be. And sometimes I've done that. Sometimes in the middle of a run, I've gotten fatigued, and so I've quit and I've walked it out. And do you know how I felt when I got back to my house or to the finish line? Terrible. That's not what I set out to do in the beginning. I set out to run the race or to run the training run that I had planned for that day. Not to run half of it and walk the rest. Not to run half of the race and walk through the finish line. Other times when I've felt fatigue, I've not stopped and walked, right, the rest of the way home. Other times in the middle of a run when I felt fatigue, you know what I did? I just pressed on harder. 
I picked up the pace. I pushed through that, that moment of difficulty and in time found that second wind that carries you home at a better pace than maybe uh, I, I, you, you'd had uh, another time. The same principle, I think, applies when it comes to, to when we are fatigued in gospel sharing, when we're fatigued in spending time with individuals to help them to follow Jesus more effectively in discipling relationships. When we are fatigued in following Jesus, one of the best things we can do is double down on what we've already started, is to pick up the pace, is to press on, because we know it's what we've been called to. We didn't start this, ra- this race with Christ of following Jesus. We didn't start it to quit halfway through. We started to finish strong. So when you feel fatigue, when you feel that life following Jesus is just a grind, don't slow down, speed up. Dive into gospel sharing. Jump into the life-giving work of sharing the gospel, the very thing, the very thing that someone else did to bring you Christ the first time. Share the gospel that gave you life. And in so doing, find the life, find the encouragement, find the spiritual joy and sustainment that comes from God as you do so. Dive into gospel sharing. Fifth, rest in God's promises. Determine not to quit. Press into godly, friend, uh, godly friendships. Find joy in physical labor. Dive into gospel sharing. Now rest in God's promises. In verses 9 through 11, we find that, that after Paul was accosted by the Jews there in verse 6, that he begun to, I think, make plans to leave Corinth. This is understandable. In nearly every city Paul has preached, whether it be Antioch, uh, Iconium, Lystra, Derby, back through those several cities, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, everywhere he goes, he has been opposed. The gospel has been, uh, has been rejected by some in every city that he, has come, uh, that, that he has come with the gospel to. And after being opposed for a time, Paul has always, in every case, eventually moved on from that city to find gospel fruit in other places, only there to be opposed again and to move on yet once more. But here in verses 9 through 11, as I believe Paul is likely preparing to leave Corinth after having received the opposition from the Jews there, the Lord appears to Paul and tells him not only not to leave Corinth, but to stay and to keep on preaching and to not be silent. When Paul is about to quit Corinth and move on, the Lord comes to him in a vision and stops him dead in his tracks. No, Paul, you may not leave. You must continue to preach. You may not be silent. But the Lord also gives him not just this command to stay in Corinth in this difficult place, but the, God, but, but the Lord also gives him some promises to sustain him during this time. You'll note these three. One, he says, I am with you. Don't be afraid, I'm with you. Secondly, no one will attack you or harm you. Third promise, I have many in this city who are my people. Look, because of the Lord's promise to Paul in verses 9 through 11, Our brother, this apostle, stays those next 18 months in Corinth, resting in the promises of God. And we see those promises play out in verses 12 through 17, when Paul is arrested and accused of teaching worship of God that's contrary to the Jewish law. Even then, he doesn't doesn't even have to make a defense in front of the proconsul Gallio. Because Gallio, this Roman proconsul, doesn't even want to hear, won't even judge a matter that doesn't pertain to Roman criminal authority or criminal law, excuse me. And though the Jews ultimately are not satisfied with Gallio's decision and certainly not happy with Paul continuing to be in Corinth, they, they don't beat Paul. They do beat the believing synagogue ruler Sosthenes. And in all of it, Paul remains unscathed. Paul doesn't even have to give his own defense. 
Jesus is good to his promises to Paul. He said, don't be afraid, I'm with you. No one will harm you, bring pain upon you. I have many in the city who are my people. The Lord makes those promises to Paul in Corinth, and he makes good on those promises. Friend, when you find yourself in a dry time spiritually, a, a, a time where following Jesus just feels like a grind, remind yourself and meditate upon the promise of Christ's presence. Remind yourself of the promises of Christ. Now, we may not claim the words of the Lord to Paul in verses 9 through 11 for ourselves. That would be inappropriate. We don't get to take what the Lord said to Paul and say, that, that is also for me today, especially. God will never let anyone harm me or hurt me. We know that that's not always the case. There are plenty of believers around the world who are receiving harm, who are being persecuted for their faith today. So we don't claim the promise that Jesus gives to Paul for us directly, but we do have a promise that Jesus gave to all of his disciples throughout the ages from Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, don't we? There, Jesus gives us what we know as the Great Commission. You'll see it on the screen behind me. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Jesus came. He said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And behold, here's the promise, I am with you always even to the end of the age. We have a promise from Christ himself to be present with us, both in triumph and in trial. Count on that promise, Christian. When you feel like you can't take another step in faithful obedience to Jesus, you remind yourself of the promise that he gave in Matthew 28, 20, that he would be with you always to the end of the age. Remind yourself of that promise, Christian, and remind yourself that you are held in the hand of a God who always keeps his promises. Christ is with you, Christian. Grind on. Sixth and finally, worship in gratitude with God's people. When life is hard, when following Jesus is just difficult, it's strenuous, it seems to take a lot more work, you just don't want to do it, combat that feeling, combat that fatigue, with worship in gratitude with God's people. As Paul leaves Corinth in verse 18, he comes to the eastern Corinthian seaport of Sencre. And there he shaves his head, Luke says, because of a vow. It would appear that the vow that Paul has taken is a Nazarite vow. Now, Moses tells us in Numbers 6 about what a, a Nazarite vow looks like and what it is for. Uh, number six tells us that one is to take a Naz- uh, uh, the vow of a Nazarite, not a, not a Nazarene, but a Nazarite, if, uh, if for a period of time he wants to express a particular sense of thanksgiving or gratitude to God. Or on the other hand, if an individual is just wanting to, to take a vow of special service to God for a, a predetermined period of time. During that vow, the person making the vow would not cut their hair, nor would they drink any sort of strong drink, strong liquor or anything like that. And at the end of the time of the vow, they would shave their head and offer all of the hair that they shaved uh, on the altar, uh, in the temple or in the tabernacle as a burnt sacrifice to the Lord. I can't imagine that sacrifice smelled very good, but that's what they would do. So when Paul gets to Sincre, he shaves his head, Luke says, because of a vow that he took. It, it seems almost certain that the vow Paul took was a Nazarite vow. And I, and, and in the study that I've done, have been influenced by many other godlier and, and smarter people than me, uh, feel that the vow that Paul took was in connection to the promise he received from the Lord in Corinth. 
The Lord appears to him as Paul's, I think, getting ready to leave. And the Lord says, don't leave Corinth. Keep on preaching. Don't be silent. I'm with you. I'll get you through this. Don't you worry about it. I've got plans for this city. And I think after receiving that vision, having that promise from the Lord, that Paul said, okay, Lord, you got it. I'm yours in Corinth as long as you need me. And to do so, I'm going to take this vow. And so he takes that Nazarite vow. And he's going to keep that vow. He's going to keep that promise of faithfulness to the Lord, of dedication to gospel service in Corinth until he leaves, until the Lord releases him. This is exactly what Paul does. Over 18 months, he presses on, he perseveres in gospel ministry because Jesus has told him he must. And when time comes to go, he ends his vow by shaving his head. Now, Paul's not resigning from Christian ministry. His vow, I think, was just related to his time in Corinth. But he shaves his head, and he makes his way back to Jerusalem to finish the vow ceremony, to offer his hair as a burnt sacrifice on the altar there. Verse 22. Now, our text today, in in the translation that I preach from, the English Standard Translation, doesn't tell us that Paul went to Jerusalem. But verse 22 does say that when Paul landed at Caesarea, which is the region that Jerusalem is in, he went up. You might not think much about those three words, he went up, but if you're reading in the New New International, the Christian Standard, or the New Living Translation, you'll see there that the translators of those versions have added to Jerusalem to that sentence, because the phrase going up or to go up in Jewish uh, culture almost always means going up to the elevated city of Jerusalem and to the hill of the temple there after worshiping. In Jerusalem, Paul arrives in Caesarea, he goes up to Jerusalem, he worships there, he offers his hair uh, that, that he grew during his time of a vow as a burnt offering to the Lord. After he worships there, he spends time with the mother church in Jerusalem. We read that he greeted the church there, and then he returns to his home church at Antioch, the church that initially had sent him out to take the gospel to the various places that he went. It is worth noting, I think, that Paul grinds through his time at Corinth with a grateful heart to God, dedicated, devoted to, looking forward to the worship of God that he will share with the church when he returns to Jerusalem and then to Antioch. Worship of God with God's people is Paul's antidote to the grind that is ministry in Corinth. Christian, when life is troubling, when it is hard, when you're not seeing fruit in your gospel sharing, you feel like your devotional time and the word has been, has been stale, your, your prayers just, you, even in your prayer, you just don't feel like you're, like you're connecting with God the way that you know you ought or, or ought to be able to hope to. When things get hard and you want to quit, do the opposite and commit yourself all the more to the weekly worship of the church and to expressing your gratitude to God. Even, I would say, especially when you don't feel like it. It's way too easy to wake up on Sunday morning and say, ah, I just don't feel like it. There's a golf tournament on. Football season's starting soon. There's lots of other things that are going to be vying for your attention. And when you get tired, when you get weary in following Jesus, you will be tempted, and not by the Lord, I promise you that. You will be tempted to say, you know, I think I need to just take a break from church today. I think I just need to take a break from church this week. I mean, just to, you know, this summer, our family, we're just going to take a break from the church. We're just going to rest. We're going to go on vacation and do something. And, and then when the fall comes back, we'll, we'll get back into it again. Christian, is worship of Christ with those who have also trusted him for salvation, is it your antidote to the weekly work of following Jesus? 
Is this time right now life-giving to you? Do you depend upon this time with other brothers and sisters in worship and song and through prayer and through hearing from God's word? Do you depend upon this time to get you through the week, to encourage you to follow Jesus more faithfully? Or do you view worship as a chore you'd really rather avoid? Brother, sister, do you so love Jesus that you also love and commit to his bride, the church? Or do you treat her like so many high schoolers do a Friday or Saturday night date? Take it or leave it. We'll see if something else better comes up. The writer of Hebrews, as he encourages the church to faithfulness in difficult days, writes in Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25, these words. Listen to them. He says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Christian, do you need encouragement to love and good works as a follower of Jesus? Then worship with your church. Do you need reminding of the faithfulness of God in frustrating times? Then make it a priority to join the life-giving encouragement that comes with worshiping our faithful God with others. Make this time a priority. If you don't see it as life-giving, pray to God that He might help you to see it as life-giving because it is. And not only is it life-giving, it's also commanded to us in Scripture. Do you know why God commands us to come together to worship Him in ways like this? Because He knows it's life-giving. God doesn't command us to do things that aren't good for us. It's more than just good to gather for worship. It's godly. It's right. It leads us and it encourages us. It stirs us up, as the writer of Hebrews says, to love, love of God, love of others. It stirs us up to good works, the good works of sharing the gospel and making disciples. That doesn't happen if Christians can't meet together. If you're one of those people that says, I love Jesus, I just don't love the church, I dare say you don't really love Jesus. Because the church is his bride. And if you love Jesus, you're going to love the things that he loves. Brothers and sisters, pray to God to give you a deep love for the local church. And wherever you find yourself, here for a season, as long as God keeps you here, you move away, wherever God may take you, pray that God so gives you a love for the local church that you can't be without her wherever you happen to find yourself in life. Paul himself will write a few letters to the church at Corinth, the one that he helped to start in Acts 18. During his third missionary journey, he'll write to the church in Corinth several times, two of which we have recorded. There's at least one third letter that we don't have. But in closing the letter that we know as 2 Corinthians, Paul writes to the church there at Corinth. Remember, this place where he just grinded it out for 18 months. He says, finally, brothers, rejoice. Aim for restoration. Comfort one another. Agree with one another. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Rejoicing, restoration, comfort, peace. The grace, love, and fellowship of God that Paul talks about to the church at Corinth do not happen outside of the gathered body of Christ in worship. If you want to know rejoicing in the Lord, if you want to know spiritual restoration, if you want to know true comfort and peace, if you want to know the grace of God in a real way, if you want to grow in love and fellowship uh, with a God 
who has saved your soul through faith in Jesus, don't hope to do it outside of, exclusively outside of the gathering of the body of Christ in worship. Christian, following Jesus can sometimes be a grind. It can sometimes be a challenge. But I encourage you today, grind on. Grind on. But find rest and relief and restoration for the mission of Jesus in your life as you worship hand in hand with other believers. This is the life-giving gift of God to his church, one another. One another. Let's pray.